again, and thank you, Pete, leading us in worship this morning. I guess I could do some keep time up here. Well, we're we're coming to the end of the book of Colossians. It's been a it's been a good study. It's been a blessing to me. Hopefully, it's been a blessing to you as well. We've been in this book now for almost a year. We've seen Paul in his addressing of the teaching of the false teachers. He do it in a way that's a general way that uh, applies to all believers for all time because he's emphasized the supremacy of Jesus Christ above all things. He's the creator of all things around us by him. Through Him, all things were made. He is the author of the new creation in us. We become a believer. right? He renews our heart, redeems us. We become a new creation in Christ. He is the head over that new creation. And ultimately, His new creation in the future when He returns. We have the new heavens and the new earth. He is Lord over all, worthy of worship, worthy of praise. He is supreme. And then Jesus Christ is sufficient for you for salvation. You don't need legalistic practices. You don't need mystic practices. You don't, you don't need ascetic practices that, that strive to, to beat the body or mystic practices where you're emphasizing the emotional experience. You have Jesus Christ and you have His Word. Jesus says in John 17 that, I am truth. And He says, Father, sanctify them in truth. Thy Word is truth. We have the Word of God. And so in his attack on the false teacher's teaching, he does it in a way that proposes and promotes the supremacy of Jesus Christ and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And then he says, in light of that fact, in light of those facts, you should live in a way that honors Christ. It's pretty simple. If you believe something and you've been transformed inwardly, it should affect how you act outwardly. And that gets into Colossians chapters 3 and 4. And we've talked about how we, we put on the new self and we have new affections. We have a new mindset. And this affection, those new, the new desires that we have, the love for the things of Christ, the love for the things of God versus the love for the things of the world, affects all our relationships. We talked about how there is a new, a new body that is the Christian church. And how our identity is no longer what we were. Those groups that we were a part of in the past are no longer important to us. Right? I can always identify myself as a southern, southerner if I want to. Southern U.S., we identify ourselves as a specific group. But that is not who I am anymore. I am a Christian. I am in Christ. We are united in Christ. And that new identity is in Jesus Christ in union with Him. And there's a new behavior. We love each other. We have compassion on one another. And then it affects our family relationships, husbands and wives. We're a picture of Christ in the church. We're we're showing the world what it really means to honor the Lord in our marriages. Where wives submit lovingly to their husbands and honor their husbands. And husbands loving their wives sacrificially like Christ loves His church. And then we talked about parental and children relationships and how children are to obey their parents. And that is our our goal as parents is when they're really young, we teach them 
the importance of obedience and submission to authority. Because we all have to obey authority. We obey Jesus Christ as our authority. And we talked about how children, we want to raise children that, that know the gospel. And that's our focus as parents. And if we focus merely on externals, we are raising Pharisees. And no parent in here wants to raise Pharisees. People who are just externally obedient, but inwardly dead. And we talked about how slaves and masters and their relationships and the principles that, that can be drawn out of that passage and how it affects our work life. And how we're to work hard, we're to work for God, not just to, just to please those who can see what we do, but we work to honor the Lord in our jobs. We work to please God, fear Him. Right? We don't work for just our bosses or work just for a paycheck. We know that God is going to evaluate our work when we stand before Him in heaven to see if we worked with a good heart, a hard heart, or a hard heart towards those around us. And then we came to last week where we talked about evangelism and how we should conduct ourselves and live our lives as believers in this world, how we should reach out to those that are in this world that don't know Jesus Christ. We, we should pray for them and then we should have our speech be seasoned with salt and we should live wisely among them with the goal of loving them, but also the goal of sharing the gospel, the good news of, what, of Jesus Christ, of how He transformed our lives. We talked about how we make evangelism so hard, but in reality, it's just helping others to understand what Christ has done in your life on a personal, individual level. Because Paul says, look, that in verse 6, that you should know how to respond to each person. He's talking about evangelism is individual. Right? We make evangelism group-related. We say, oh, we've got to reach this group for Christ. No, no, reach that person that you work with, the person that you talk to at the shops, and so we talked about that. And see, the focus is still on Christ. Christ and His supremacy. Christ and His sufficiency. Christ and the outworking of His new work in your heart into every aspect of your life. And now as we come to this end section, and we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 18, I know many of you are like, how in the world is He going to preach a bunch of list of names? But we know that what? All Scripture is by inspiration of God. All Scripture is God-breathed, 2 Timothy. And that it is, it is profitable for you, for me, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, instruction, and righteousness. So that everything that is in Scripture is in Scripture because God intended it to be there. And what a, what a joy that is when we read passages like this and we say, Well, Lord, why do you have this long list of names? It's a huge section, 7 through 18. But hopefully you'll see this morning, as we get into this section, we're going to see, and I, and I titled this section, A Portrait of Gospel Ministry. You remember a year ago, we all sat, most of us, we all sat down for a group portrait. And I have this portrait at home, and it's, it's, a, great, uh, it's a great portrait. It has, has uh, Jeff and Valmy right before they left. It has myself and my wife. It was the installation service. It was the last, uh, one of the last services we did at Montague. And, and we have the, the whole congregation. It was a great picture, a great portrait. It was a portrait of the church. And that's a portrait of gospel ministry. Because when we think about gospel ministry, and we often think about the apostles, and we think of them as lone rangers, to use the old American TV show. We think of them as they're off doing their thing by themselves. 
But what we don't realize, and we often um, not think properly about this, is that all the apostles had a team, a team of people, men and women around them that God used to help them, but God used to facilitate the gospel going out to the Gentiles. Right? God, it was not one sense. Now, there is a sense where leadership is lonely. When you get to the top, you have very few peers. And so leadership is lonely. And Paul even states this as much in 2 Corinthians 11. He says, I have been in labor and hardship through many, many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from this external things, there is always the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without me being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? So the Apostle Paul did have an intense personal stake when it comes to ministry and the gospel ministry he was given. But the complete picture is that Paul had friends and companions that God brought into his life. Gospel ministry is never a singular thing. We all are involved in gospel ministry. We often think of ministry as it's just the preacher or it's just doing some counseling, but ministry is where God has you. It's ministering in the world where your job and where you're working to outsiders. That's your ministry that God has given you, but it's also serving the body. And everything that you do, that we do together, is for the kingdom of God. From the littlest thing to the smallest thing. It's all about being faithful, as we're going to see this morning. In 1792, and I love William Carey. In 1792, William Carey challenged his Baptist brethren in England. They become complacent. And he said, we have a responsibility to take the gospel to the world. We have the means, we have the knowledge, we have the finances. We must do this in order to be obedient to the Great Commission. And they, they ended up, they listened to him, and they responded, and then they formed, and I love this name, the particular Baptist society for propagating the gospel among the heathen. How do you like that? Try to work an acronym out of that as a business title, right? So they formed this society and they appointed William Carey as missionary to India. And now a year later, he's raised funds and he's, he's at his home church in Leicester, England, and he's, and he's having that, that last service. And then he starts meeting with the four leaders of the society and this meeting goes all day. And it was interesting because the men, they they promised William Carey, they said, look, he said, as as you go forth in society's name and in the master's name, we will never cease till death to stand by you. I love that. Andrew Fuller, one of these men, he described the meeting to others and he said, it's like going on this mission to India is like going into a deep, unexplored mine. And he said, it was as if Carrie said to us, I will go down if you will hold the rope. For those of us and for others that are engaged in gospel ministry, some go directly down into the hole while others are holding the rope. We all, in a sense, hold the rope when it comes to personal our personal ministry before the Lord. Now, some of our, our support is direct and personal, and we're hanging on and we're going down the rope. Some of it is about service within the body. Some of it is, is giving financially. And a big part of it is prayer, praying for those that are doing the gospel ministry. So have you ever wondered, 
You ever thought about and wondered what the apostles' ministry team looked like? Well, one thing to remind you that in Colossae, Paul had never been to this church. Right? He'd never, he's never personally spoken with these believers. And so what I love about this final section of Scripture, as we're getting ready to dig into, is that Paul draws the curtain back, if you will. He, he shows these believers, hey, I want to show you all these people. It's not just me, but I want to show you all these people that are involved in gospel ministry. I want to show you this group portrait, if you will. So the question for us is, how do you judge your own ministry? How do you judge your service? What does ministry service look like? Not everyone can be a pastor or elder, and how can you serve the Lord? How can you be a part of gospel ministry? Well, we're going to answer these questions and more this morning as we look at Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. So let's go ahead and look at it, and then we'll dig in. Colossians chapter 4, verse 7. As to my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant, and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information. For I have sent to him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number, they will inform you about the whole situation here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings, and also Barnabas' cousin, Mark, about whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And also Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision, and they have proved to be an encouragement to me. And Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in the will of God. For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, also sends you his greetings. And Demas, greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and also Nympha, the church that is in her house. And when this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And, and for you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. So we're going to look at three aspects of gospel ministry this morning in this, in this portrait of gospel ministry. We're going to be looking at faithfulness and service. We're going to be looking at a ministry or the ministry involves others. And we're looking at a focus of the, in the local churches. So the first point or the first aspect is faithfulness in service. So we're looking at Paul's representatives, first of all. That's, that's Tychicus and Onesimus. And when he comes to Tychicus, it was interesting, he says that He's our, my beloved brother, and he's a faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord. He uses three different adjectives to describe him. And he says he's a beloved brother. He, he, was, he, he was counted on, and he was counted as a believer in Jesus Christ. And I love this because he says our, because Tychicus was known to the Colossian church. He's our faithful brother. And, you know, as a believer, we, we love others in a way that unbelievers can't understand. It's interesting, I read liberal commentators, and they'll talk about David, King David, and his relationship with Jonathan, and they'll say there, there must be some inappropriate relationship between these two because there's no way that they can love each other that much because they don't understand the love of Christ. They don't understand that the love of God between two people or three people or a group of people that are all focused on one thing and as is the glory of God, Right? And care for each other. Unbelievers naturally love themselves more than anything else. 
And so love, their love for others is tainted by their own selfishness. But when it comes to us as believers, we love others in a way that is what agape love, sacrificial love, a love that puts others' needs and desires even above our own. Others are more important than ourselves. So when Paul says, Tychus, he's my beloved brother, he loved him. And as we're going to see as we dig into this more, there's great reasons for that. He says that he is a faithful helper. And we first meet Tychicus in Acts 20, when he volunteers to go with Paul to Jerusalem to deliver the Gentile church's offering to the poor Jewish church. Now, he's in, he's in Ephesus. And you know Tychicus is thinking about this journey, and he has to understand that this journey with the Apostle Paul is not going to be, you know, hop on a plane to Dubai and back in a week. We're talking about months of travel, months extending into years. And at this point in Paul's life, Tychicus had been with Paul for over two years, away from his friends, his family, and his home church. You see, Tychicus is a faithful helper. But he had to know it was an artist's journey, and yet he decided to go anyway. And then it's interesting with Tychicus because Paul entrusts him with much. In Titus 3.12, Paul tells Titus, he says, Titus, come visit me. And in your spot as pastor of church in Crete, I'm going to either send Artemis or Tychicus. So Paul trusted him enough to go and relieve Titus. And then later on at the end of Paul's life in 2 Timothy, Paul says, Paul was telling Timothy, I, I desire to see you one last time. And he, what he does, he sends Tychicus to his home church in Ephesus to be the interim pastor. While, that, while Timothy is journeying to see the Apostle Paul right before his death. You see, Tychicus was a faithful helper. And Paul says he's a fellow slave in the Lord. He's a, he's a bondservant. He understands submitting to Christ. And it's interesting because Paul gives Tychicus an important mission. He says that he's going to inform the church of Paul's personal situation. Because Paul, if you remember, Paul's in prison. right? He had went to Jerusalem to present the offering. The Jewish leaders conspired against him. Paul appealed to Caesar. He got on a boat, was shipwrecked at Malta, and then from Malta he survived, went to Rome, and he's been under house arrest for the last couple years as he's waiting for Emperor Nero to hear his case. So that's what's going on. So, so Paul gives Tychicus an important mission. He says, look, I want you to tell these churches, Ephesians, Church of Ephesus, excuse me, Church at Colossia, Laodicea, Heropolis, don't you tell these churches of my personal situation because I know they're all concerned about me. But he also wants Tychicus to encourage their hearts that even though Paul is in prison, he is still having opportunities for the gospel and God is looking after him. But one of the most important things Tychicus did is Tychicus had in his possession, imagine this responsibility, he had in his possession the epistle to the Ephesians, the epistle to the Colossians, and he also had the book of Philemon. So he had three Bible books, three scripture books in his possession that Paul entrusted to him to go and deliver to the churches in modern-day Turkey. So Tychicus was, was true helper, was a true faithful brother in Christ. And then he comes to Onesimus and he says, look, and I love that he says Onesimus, he says he's, he's our faithful and beloved brother because you guys remember Onesimus from Philemon. Onesimus was a slave of Philemon. And we learn in, in Philemon chapter 1 that the church of Colossae actually met in Philemon's home. 
right? So Onesimus stole from Philemon, and he ran away, and he ran all the way to Rome. And guess who he met in Rome under God's providence? The Apostle Paul. Paul shared the gospel with him. Onesimus became a believer, and then he became useful to Paul. He was very helpful to Paul in, in helping him with ministry. Well, Paul sends Onesimus back. Because once you become a believer, you still have to make amends. An aspect of repentance is, is going and making things right, if possible, with those you've sinned against. And Onesimus had to come back and he, he had to repay what he had stolen. And he had to make things right with his former master. Now, Paul actually says in Philemon, he says, Look, Philemon, can you send him back to me? I'm not going to order you to do this. I'm going to ask you to do this because Onesimus has been great help. So that repentance. So Onesimus come back. He comes back and he's repentant. And by the way, can you imagine Onesimus? He gets saved through, somehow through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And then he's there in the, in, with Paul in Rome. And Epaphras, the church of Colossae, shows up. And guess where the church would meet? We know they, they met in Philemon's home. So Onesimus would have been well familiar with Epaphras. So it had been like, Paul's going, oh, hey, Onesimus, I want you to meet Epaphras. Oh, yeah, I know Epaphras. Yeah, I know him very well. Epaphras is looking at Onesimus going, what in the world? Hey, welcome. You know, can you imagine that, that interaction? But you know what? It's a testimony to God's grace working in people's lives, right? It's a testimony to God changing people from what they were. Now, Onesimus' name, his name literally means useful. And Paul makes a play on words in Philemon 1.11. He says, look, he who was, who was useless to you, he was useless, is now useful to me. So Onesimus was useful, he became useless, and then once he got saved, he became useful to the ministry. But Paul says that he is faithful, he is trustworthy, he's proven himself. Now, one of the things, as I was thinking about Tychicus, and I was thinking about Onesimus, I was thinking about these guys... You know, I, I was thinking about the story I read a while back about Edward Maybridge. He's a world-famous photographer. And one of the questions that was going around uh, the United States, especially in California in the late 1800s, because of all the horse tracks, is they were, they were curious about whether when a horse runs and gallops, all its feet are ever off the ground, right? Now, I've had horses, and I, to tell you the truth, I never really thought about this. But as I was reading the story, I was like, you know what? I don't even know. Are all their hoofs off the ground when they run? They always have one. And that was the question they were trying to answer. Well, Leland Stanford, the former governor of California, offered $25,000. Now, this is, in, this is in the late 1800s. And that would have been equivalent of hundreds of thousands of dollars today to anyone who could answer this question. And so Edward Mayfield spent years developing a system where he developed shutters on cameras that could record pictures at one two thousandths of a second. And he'd line up different cameras and he, he eventually proved that actually horses do. As they run, there is a point in their running where all four hooves are actually off the ground. So there's a little tidbit for you. What's interesting about that, and the reason I was thinking about that, is it took him years and years and years of working on this. I think it was up to eight years to get this, to, to prove that particular fact. And when you think about our faithfulness to the Lord, you think about Tychicus and Onesimus, God wants us to be faithful in what He's giving you, what He, was, what he gave them in the particular moment. Right? The, the old proverb, the old saying is true. If you're faithful with little, God gives you more. If you're unfaithful, He'll take that away from you. 
So the question for us in gospel ministry and, and the issue for Tychicus and Onesimus is they proved themselves faithful in little. You reckon Paul would give just anybody three books of the Bible and say, here, go deliver these? Tychicus had proved himself faithful over the couple years that he had known the Apostle Paul. So for us, when it comes to ministry, we don't know what God's going to have for us in the future. If you're younger, you need to be faithful in what the Lord has given you at this moment. The Lord is preparing you for something else in the future, but He also wants you to be faithful in the present. Now, what Maybridge didn't know is that Thomas Edison would stand on his shoulders and use his work to create the very first motion picture, roughly 10, 15 years later. So you don't know with the ministry opportunities that God's given you now what He's going to do with that later down the road. You need to be faithful, like Tychicus and Onesimus, in whatever ministry that He's given you. Now, not only does He, he says, one of the ministry aspects is, is to be faithful, but another portrait, another aspect in ministry involves others, right? It's not about us alone. Look down in verse 10. He says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings, and Barnabas, cousin Mark, and also, verse 11, Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision, and they have proved to be an encouragement to me. So Paul, when he talks about his ministry and he's pulling back that curtain and he's showing them who's behind him, he gives three Jewish, or references three Jewish believers and three Gentile believers. And he says, look, Aristarchus is, first of all, he was a native of Thessalonica. He was actually one of those, he was that guy who was accosted. You remember Paul's in Rome and the silversmith rises up and they have a huge riot and they drag him down to the amphitheater. Well, this is the guy they dragged down there because they knew he was associated with Paul, Aristarchus. He's one of, he was recognized as one of Paul's companions. And he accompanied Paul on his journey to Jerusalem, and then he traveled with Paul all the way to Rome. So he's in Rome. And it's interesting, he says he is a fellow prisoner. So in some sense, he decided to stay with Paul in that house. Most likely he wasn't actually a prisoner, but he chose to live like one. He shared the Apostle Paul's experience willingly. Right? Church, Paul's in house arrest, and he made his existence the Apostle Paul's existence. Because this demonstrates what a tremendous heart it demonstrates. That he loved Paul, and he, and he wanted to see the ministry go forth, that he was willing to sacrifice his own freedom so that he could advance the kingdom of God. What a servant! I love what John MacArthur in his commentary in Colossians, he says, The Lord's work would not be done if it were not for people like Aristarchus, who humbly bear hardships without the fame of those they serve. Right? We, you look at it this way. If, if Paul had not mentioned Aristarchus, would we know who he is? No. How many faithful believers are there in the history of the church that have served gospel ministry, serve the Lord in different types of ministry that we do not know about, that we will meet in heaven and God will show us to these people and say, I want you to meet so-and-so. They were my faithful servants. Their names aren't recorded anywhere, but they served me with gladness. They, they sacrificed for me. Because ministry involves others. It's not about just the one public person that you see, like the pastor or, or the famous pastors across the world that we have now. 
right? John MacArthur and R.C. Sproul who's passed and, and John Piper and, and others that, that are well known. It's not just about these guys. There's a ministry team. There's others behind him. But not only is there Aristarchus, there's Mark. Now the great thing, well the interesting thing about Mark is that you guys all know Mark, right? You have his gospel. He's one of the four men that were blessed with the opportunity to write a gospel. But Mark's ministry didn't start out that way. On the first missionary journey, do you realize that he deserted Paul? He went home. Things got tough, and the tough, and instead of the tough get going, the going went home. Right? Things got tough, and, and Mark decided, I'm going home. I'm going back to mom and dada. Now, there grows such a great contention on Paul's second missionary journey between him and Barnabas that him and Barnabas actually separated. Paul took Silas, and Barnabas took Mark, and they went in different directions. But here we have the first time that Paul's mentioned him in 12 years since that incident. And look what he says about Mark. He says, he says, My fellow prisoner, also Barnabas' cousin, about whom you received instructions, he says, welcome him. So Mark was well known to them. Mark had ministered in that area, and he had, they had received instructions about welcoming Mark. Right? Mark, Peter calls Mark, and this is the thing. Peter, who is well known and well versed in failure... Peter came alongside Mark and helped Mark. In 1 Peter 5.13, he says, he calls him, he says, my son Mark, which is a, a term of endearment. Peter discipled Mark, helped Mark. And you know what? Mark became one of Paul's greatest helpers. So it's about others. And then there's justice. We don't know a lot about justice other than his name. Jewish name was Jesus, and those Jewish men, would, they, would, they would give themselves Greek Hellenistic names as well. Besides, if your name is Jesus, wouldn't you want to go by something else? Imagine trying to live up to that. Oh, look, here comes Jesus, right? Or in Southern California, we would call it, it would be Jesus. But imagine, you'd, you'd want, to, you want to go by something else. Just for the sheer fact that, you, you know, you want to honor the Lord, and you don't want to have his name. But he was committed because the reason we know he was committed is because he was of the circumcision. There were very few Jewish believers. And these men were committed. Not only committed to sharing the gospel with Jewish people, they were committed to sharing the gospel with Gentiles. And you had to realize that, that prejudice. Jews all their life had been taught that Gentiles were, were like dogs. They were outside the covenant. And yet these men overcame their prejudice. And we're committed to the gospel ministry. You remember Thanksgiving when, when Kevin Vargas came and he was sharing to us about the fall feast of Israel or the autumn feast of Israel, as British Commonwealth countries say. And he was, he was talking about the Thanksgiving feast. And, but he was part of Friends of Israel, an organization that's dedicated to, to sharing the gospel with Jewish believers. And they, they make inroads and they are able to, to share the gospel with, with the Jewish people. But as a nation, Israel will not come to believe in Christ as a group until the millennial reign, or sorry, until the time of the tribulation, leading into the millennial reign. Because it's during the tribulation, they will, they will see whom they have pierced, and they will repent, and they will come to Christ in mass. Israel today is the pagan nation. They're in covenant disobedience because they have rejected their covenant king. And Israel as it exists today is not a theocracy. It's not even a, a kingdom, right? It's a pagan secular nation, okay? I'm not knocking Israel because God has ordained for them to come back in the land, 
right? In order for a lot of the events in the tribulation to happen, Israel has to be back in the land. And that's why so often you'll hear people say the end times are near. They're nearer now than they were 2,000 years ago, or 1,000 years ago, or even 100 years ago. So these men, these, these men, they, they committed themselves to Paul, and, and that ministry involved others. And there's also Gentiles. Look down. He says, there's Epaphras, who is one of your number, in verse 12. And then there's Luke in verse 14, and there's, there's also Demas. And we'll go through these really quickly. Epaphras, everybody knows Epaphras from the fact that he was the head of the Colossae church. Right? He journeyed all the way to Rome to go to Paul and, and present this dangerous heresy. He traveled there. He, and he, I love what Paul says about him here. He says he, he earnestly labored. He always labored for them in his prayers. He's spending time. He, he's fighting that battle in his prayer life for these believers because he cared about them. He's working up a sweat in his prayer. And then he, he prays two things very specifically. He wants them to stand perfect. Stand is, is he wants them to find that day-to-day victory, but he wants them to stand perfect. The idea of perfect, now there's no, no, nothing perfect, right? Only one man has been perfect, it's Jesus Christ, and we're not him. The idea of perfect is complete or mature. He wants them to stand completed, their, their sanctification, that process. To, he wants them to be, be done with that. He wants him to grow to a point where Jesus Christ comes back and they're glorified. So he's praying for maturity. And then he says they pray that they be fully assured. It means to be certain, to be satisfied, to be convinced in the will of God. Ladies and gentlemen, how do you know the will of God? You know the will of God because you know the Word of God. That's how you know what God has for your life, how you're supposed to live. He wants these believers to be fully convinced. And then there's Luke. And Luke... Luke's traveling around with Paul, and, and Luke's the first modern or first example of a medical missionary. He had unique talents as a physician, well trained. And you can see how well he was trained. Jordan will see it when he starts translating Luke, and he realizes that Luke's not the simple Koine Greek of 1 John. How, how complicated his Greek is, and, and Luke and Acts is beautiful language. He was a well-educated man, but he gave his particular gifts to the service of the Lord, to the glory of God, and to the gospel ministry. He was a medical missionary. He, he gave his life over and over and over. Even at the end of his life, Paul said, only Luke is with me. He gave of his life. He gave of a, a profitable practice to tend to the needs of the Apostle Paul and others around Paul for the, for the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, ministry involves others and sacrifice. And then their final Gentile is Demas. You know, Demas, I love MacArthur says, he's the man with the sad future. Because you, first of all, you just say, oh, well, Demas, that's interesting. And even in Philemon, he's called a fellow worker. Most believers or most uh, commentators will think that he came from Thessalonica, that he came with Aristarchus. And he committed to help Paul. And he was there in both Paul's imprisonments. But what Demas is known for, Demas is known for desertion. Demas deserted Paul when he needed him the most. In 2 Timothy 4, 9 and 10, Paul says to Timothy, he says, Make every effort to come to me soon, for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. He went back home. He loved the world. He was abandoned. 
And he, Paul was abandoned by someone who had been in ministry with him. Now, over the years, I've had the unpleasant experience of, of having guys that I, I know in the ministry desert the ministry. And there's usually two types. One, they go completely apostate, and you realize they, they never had any faith to begin with, and they love this world. And then I've had the experience of, of others, a particular guy I know, and he, uh, he had a hard time in ministry. He had a rough, it was a church where the, they were stubborn sheep. Um, there was a lot of, a lot of kind of back and forth, and, and um, he was in poverty, and his, and his family wasn't well taken care of, and they were mistreated. And, and he basically said, you know what, forget the ministry. I'm going to go get a normal job, and I'm going to just earn money and take care of my family. You know, either case, we don't know where people are going to be in many years from now. There may be people in this, in this room that would desert the faith or desert, even desert the ministry. But we take people as they are at this current time. We help them to be faithful. We help them to, to, to serve the Lord. And we trust that, trust that God is going to be in their lives in the future. Right? Believers persevere over time. Time will always tell where a person is. You can fake it for a good amount of time. There's plenty of people that have head knowledge. I mean, Judas faked it for three years. Right? The, when they were passing around the, the elements, and, and Jesus was like, one of you going to betray me? All the disciples looked at one another. In, they looked at themselves and said, is it me? They didn't suspect Judas. Jesus had his Judas and Paul had his Demas. As the, the longer you're engaged in church life and the longer you're engaged in ministry life, there will be deserters. But know that God is sovereign over all things. The final point when it comes to aspects of ministry is it's a focus on the local churches. If you, if you look, Paul says to the brethren in verse 15, he says, Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nympha and the churches in her house, when this letter is read among you, have it read among the church of the Laodiceans. And for your part, read my letter that is coming. Say to Arichus, sorry, Arichipus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that, do, that you may fulfill it. I, Paul, write this greeting. The emphasis here is on the Word of God. He sends these greetings to these other churches. And Laodicea is about 20 kilometers away down the road. And, and, and these are good churches. And he's saying, look, you, you need to be in the Word. You need to, have, you need to read this letter because it's Scripture among yourselves. And then you need to make sure it's going to go down the road. What they would do is they would take it and they would make a copy. And then they would send it along, send the original along to another church. And, and they would make a copy. He says, look, you need to read this Scripture publicly. Study it. You need to send it on to another church so they can be blessed. And in turn, you need to get that letter from Laodicea. Now, what, what letter was the, was the Laodicean letter? Well, I believe, it was, I believe it was the letter to the Ephesians. The letter to the Ephesians was written as a circular letter, and it was to go around to all the different churches. It has very little greeting on the bottom of it. And so the letter from the Laodiceans was the letter to the Ephesians. It would have been the letter that, that Tychicus had. And they were like, hey, he was like, read this letter as well. Read Ephesians, it's Scripture. And make sure the other church gets it. And also Greek Laodicea, because he knows that they're going to be reading this. And ladies, Nympha. Right? Nympha most likely was a widow, because her husband isn't mentioned. But she did what she could to serve. And she opened up her house. They had house churches, by the way. We didn't have halls and buildings. 
right? She opened up her home. She was a picture of hospitality. That was her ministry. I'm thankful for so many of you ladies. I'm thankful for my wife. Uh, I, I tell my wife, honey, we're going to have so-and-so over. And I'm just like, yeah, we're, we're just, they'll just come over. And magically, you know, food's going to appear and the, fa- the place is going to be clean. And you know what I mean? Guys, we don't think about those facts. You know, we're not thinking about all the work that goes into it. We're just thinking, oh, you know what? I want to be, be with the fellowship, with the, with the believers. I want to have, have an enjoyable time, right? Well, I'm thankful for the ladies in there. And a lady's mentality for hospitality, Right? Guys, we don't think along those lines. Guys aren't thinking about how to make people comfortable, how to help people in, in the little ways, the little details. Right? We're not thinking about how, how to make a person's visit or, or time more enjoyable. Right? We're just like, ah, yeah, they can come in, let's go. We'll eat some food and talk and go home. We're not thinking of the little details. Ladies, God has given so many of you a gift of hospitality. I've seen it already in my time here. That is a way for you to serve the Lord. Even in small ways. You don't have to be rich to show hospitality. You can show hospitality by, by having people stay with you and show hospitality in the church. Visiting and greeting and, and sharing and, and talking and, and loving people. I'm thankful for Nympha that a church could meet in her house. And the Laodicean church met in her house. Right? Now, just think about it this way. Because of her service and sacrifice, her name was written in Scripture. And Scripture is eternal. So she will be remembered forever for her service and her sacrifice, her ministry to the Lord by her hospitality. It goes back to the earlier statement. Ladies, there's plenty of ways in the body that you can serve. And they may, guys as well, there may not be those public positions, but there they are seen by the Lord and they are known by the Lord. So you have Nympha and you have Aricobus, who most likely was a, an associate pastor in Colossae. And he says, fulfill the ministry that I've given you or that God's given you. Read this letter. Look, ladies and gentlemen, we, we've, we've looked at a portrait of gospel ministry. What we've seen, we've seen these men and, 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 this, and Nympha being faithful to the Lord in the different ways and the different things that God has given them. And as they're faithful with little, God has given them more. Tychicus, for example, goes from uh, just a helper to an, uh, an interim pastor at the end of, end of Paul's life. Be faithful in God what He's asked of you. You see God lurking in the lives of individual and ordinary people, and God calls us to be faithful, fulfill the ministry, the responsibilities He's been given each one of you. Whether they're public or whether nobody sees it, God sees it. You know, I was reading an uh, article about those big C-17 cargo planes, those U.S. cargo planes. That I saw a few of them. The Australian Air Force actually has a few of them. They're able to, they can drive tanks in these things and transport around the world. Massive planes. Well, the U.S. Air Force have found recently, and I read this in Popular Mechanics, that if they fly these massive giant cargo planes in a V formation, like geese, that they actually, they actually save about 10% of their fuel even the lead plane, because of what's called, they call it uh, vortex surfing, because of the wind and this, all together. Basically, all together, working together, they accomplish their goal with a lot less individual energy. Believers, we work together, together, to serve the Lord in ministry. And we do it, and it's a lot easier when we have 
We, we share the load together, right? We cultivate that. Each one of you has something to contribute. Each one of you has been given responsibilities from the Lord. Be faithful, right? Know that we're going to do it together. It involves others. It's not you by yourself. And know that it involves the local church, right? God has you to serve. You serve by sharing the gospel outside the church, and you serve inside the church. That is gospel ministry. And that is the picture that Paul is drawing back the curtain, and he's showing these believers in Colossae. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you. Lord, we can see a picture, a portrait of gospel ministry. We see that it's not about one man that you brought many, many others into Paul's life, men and women, to, to serve and to, to help with the furtherance of your kingdom. Father, help us to be faithful in the areas that you've given us. Help us to know that, that as we're faithful, we're given more. Help us to realize that whether we're, we're really young or we're older and seasoned, that God is not done with us. That we'll never reach a point where He can't use us and won't use us if we're willing to be faithful in what He's given. Help us speak with boldness, to serve with gladness, and honor You in all things. In Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. God be with you all. Have a great week.